The Katie Swatis Social Justice Podcast is now available on iTunes and elsewhere with the award-winning adventure novel Irreversible Damage by J.L. Reese. The series is narrated by actor Mike Gomez. In this first book of a series on contemporary social justice activism, Katie, the youngest daughter of two Mexican-American lawyers, has lived a sheltered upbringing in a wealthy Paradise Valley neighborhood of Phoenix, Life there never prepared her for the upheaval and tragedy that was to surround her and many of her loved ones. Irreversible Damage, the Katie Suarez Social Justice Series, a novel by J.L. Reese, narrated by Mike Gomez. Chapter 3, Elizabeth The Suarez family lived in a 4,000-square-foot, two-story, contemporary, modern-style home in Paradise Valley. It was set in an artistically designed, low-water-consumption front lawn. The interior decoration was simple yet sophisticated. The entrance was wide and open. To the right, cantilevered stairs appeared to float in space. The walls were ivory and sculpted along clean lines. A small blue accent wall framed a bronze model of a rearing horse. Elizabeth Suarez arrived home and looked happily at the shiny, light-colored granite floors, which reflected the light. She was the junior prosecutor at the Maricopa County District Attorney's Office. It was apparent by her appearance that she had had a tough day. As usual, as soon as she arrived, she heard the kids scream. Mom, Mark has been bothering me all afternoon and not letting me study. Mark, stop making your sister upset. What is it with you? She's so boring. Since she got home, she's not stopped studying, and I've been trying to talk to her about this girl I'm in class with, and she's totally ignoring me. Katie quickly replied, Mark is in love with Savannah, but he's dreaming if he thinks she's got a shot at the most popular girl in school. I'm not a love jerk, Mark said. You only say that because she's too cool to talk to a book nerd like you. Maybe, but for your information, she told me that right now the only thing on her mind is getting good grades. She wants to go to the USC School of Cinematic Arts in Los Angeles and only 3% of applicants get accepted, so she must get better than a 4.0. Elizabeth, exasperated with the bickering, said, Okay, if you guys don't stop this childish behavior, I will... She was interrupted by the short, high-pitched sound of the front door alarm. Dad's home, yelled Katie with a big smile. Lorenzo Suarez walked in, wearing a well-fitted striped blue suit, and solid honey-colored tie. He was average height, very fit and youthful for an attractive man in his late forties, with sharp features, dark skin, dark eyes, and a full head of hair. I'm starving, he said, loosening his tie and with an obviously tired look in his eyes. He entered the kitchen, saw Elizabeth, and his eyes twinkled. She was a vision still dressed in her navy blue business suit skirt. Elizabeth was tall, and with heels, she was statuesque. Long, thick, wavy, dark hair, 
light brown almond eyes, and in her early forties, Elizabeth looked ten years younger. She was a stunning woman, and Lorenzo felt very lucky. Honey, you look amazing, he said. Elizabeth looked at him, and with a semi-tired tone said, Thanks, hun. And then with a commanding tone said, Everyone, let's go to the table and let's start eating, or this food will get cold. Lorenzo, Mark, and Katie quickly prepared the table in the usual formal style, the way Lorenzo liked it. As usual, the food was delivered from one of the local restaurants. Lorenzo had tried to retain the tradition of the fine Mexican families to eat at a properly set-up main dining table and have stimulating conversation. As the kids were growing up, this was becoming increasingly more difficult. Mark was especially resistant. Mark, how are you doing on your finals? asked Lorenzo. Dad, can we just eat in silence for once? I just want to know how you're doing. It's not about your grades. Lorenzo knew Mark was still struggling with his grades. Don't get so defensive, my son, said Lorenzo in a kind voice. And you, Katie? Dad, I had an awful day. Mallory was giving me such a hard time about the project I told you about. She just wants to chat about boys and wants me to do all the work. And on top of that, she made fun of me and called me boring. Lorenzo repeated one of his usual pep talk speeches. I'm so proud of your drive to do well in school, my daughter. You know we Suarezes have been overachievers for generations. You cannot allow other people's laziness to affect your future. You come from a long line of hard-working, educated people in Mexico who were dedicated to helping others. You have a responsibility to give back, as you have been given much. Dad, now you're stressing me out even more, said Katie. Visibly upset, Elizabeth said, Lorenzo, quit putting so much pressure on your poor daughter, and don't start with your old Mexican ancestor stories. Lorenzo loved Elizabeth dearly and wanted peace at home, so he happily obliged. Elizabeth was of Mexican ancestry as well, but she was not attached to her Mexican roots. In fact, she never said she was Mexican to anyone. She was light-skinned and didn't look like the stereotypical Mexican. People assumed she could be any beautiful American mixture. When anyone asked, what is your ancestry? She would reply, I'm several generations American, a mixture of Hispanic and a little Spanish. She felt saying Mexican would diminish her value. Her mom raised her to assimilate and to be an American. Her mother's parents and grandparents were born in Arizona and her dad was from a small town in Zacatecas. Elizabeth's mother Maria was a third-generation Mexican and her family was not very cultured or educated. Maria grew up surrounded by stories of how Mexicans in Phoenix had never been allowed to have the good jobs, how it was virtually impossible for any Mexican to be accepted at a higher learning institution 
and of the humiliation and abuse by older generations of Anglo-Americans. Maria was very light-skinned and could have easily passed for white. She grew up in the Ponderosa neighborhood of Phoenix with a mostly Mexican population. Her parents and grandparents told Maria that Mexicans were not allowed to live anywhere else. The Phoenix city leaders did not want to spend any money improving the Mexican neighborhoods, so the streets were run down and crime was allowed to grow. White neighborhoods had the idea that if they allowed Mexicans in, the community would lose value and residents would never sell to a Mexican. Since the 1880s, when Phoenix was established, and for the next 90 years, Mexicans are segregated from whites and trained by the police and authorities to stay in their neighborhoods. Just when the segregation was loosening for the Mexicans, Sheriff Joe Arpaio decided to boost his career by energizing people against Mexican immigrants. He used his police to do immigrant roundup by racially profiling Mexicans, mixing legal and illegal immigrants, and even American-born Mexicans. Once again, Mexicans started to feel the need to segregate and stay in their neighborhoods, which was the safest place to be. When Mexicans with money wanted to move to a better neighborhood, they had to hide their Mexican ancestry. As long as they said they were Spanish, Cuban, Chilean, or Turkish, anything but Mexican, no one seemed to have a problem. It is easy to understand why, during this time, Mexican-Americans were embarrassed and afraid to use Mexican as their ancestry and started coming up with alternative names, Chicano, Latino, Hispanic, anything but Mexican. Maria was surrounded by mostly Mexican people, some newcomer Mexican immigrants, and some Mexicans who traced their ancestry to when the land was still part of Mexico. Although Maria was born in the U.S., she spoke with a Ponderosa Mexican barrio accent. Maria looked down on newly immigrated Mexicans and avoided speaking Spanish with them. In fact, if anyone spoke to her in Spanish, she took it as an offense and would say, I don't speak Spanish, even though she could speak a poor and uneducated version of Spanish. Barely finishing high school, but because she was pretty and light-skinned, Maria was able to get a job on the white side of town as a mail clerk at a large law firm. Making a couple of dollars more above minimum wage made her feel proud. The first few years at the law firm were hard. She was regularly made fun of by her co-workers because she had a ghetto accent from La Ponderosa. They call her Beaner and spoke in distorted Spanish to bother her. When she didn't hear something clearly, they would say, No comprende? Don't you understand? And when there was misunderstanding, they would say, Tu no hablas inglés. Don't you speak English? Finally, she cleaned up her accent and decided to never tell any new co-workers she was Mexican. She understood that the prejudice she suffered was not about the color of her skin, but about the fact that she was Mexican. Maria wished one day she could be seen just as an American. She felt that the only way for a Mexican to have equality and value was just to be considered American. 
At 19, she met Manuel, who was a tall, handsome Mexican newcomer immigrant, older than she was. Maria fell in love with him because he had better manners than the guys from the barrio. He was an honest man, and he had a stable job. They soon married, and Elizabeth was born. Manuel had been a farmer in Zacatecas. When he arrived in the U.S., a cousin got him a job as a dishwasher at an Italian restaurant. With hard work, Manuel moved up and became a cook's helper. With time, hard work, and a natural talent for cooking, he moved up the ladder to become cook's help supervisor. Unknown to him, his hard work and stability were instrumental to the success of the restaurant. Over the 30 years he worked there and ran the kitchen, the restaurant grew and grew. He was never the head chef, even though he was a better cook than any of the chefs hired over the years, whose names honored the menus. Manuel was always the Mexican cook hiding in the kitchen. Manuel wanted to take Elizabeth to Mexico more often, but her mother Maria didn't really like Mexico. Elizabeth visited Mexico twice, once when she was five and again when she was 13. She fondly remembered her first visit when she met her sizable Mexican family who were so friendly. She loved the farm with beautiful horses, cows, chickens, and eating a lot of delicious food. Unfortunately, her second visit did not leave good memories. She remembered the trip being long. She had to fly to Mexico City first, then take a different airplane to Zacatecas, the capital, and then get into Uncle Juan's van for the drive to the rancheria, a small ranch close to Santiago. While driving out of the city, she could see that Zacatecas City was a beautiful town. It looked ancient, with large Mexican-style buildings. She would have preferred to stay in the city and explore the old, narrow cobblestone streets, but they had no time. The family was waiting. It was an uncomfortably long and bumpy drive. Once the family arrived at the rancheria, the smells were not as pleasant as she remembered. The smell of horse and cow manure was strong and offensive to her city girl nose. Then the chickens ran around her, and she became frightened, making everyone laugh. For some reason on this visit, her family looked dirty. She noticed their teeth were yellow with black holes, and many were missing. She wasn't comfortable, so she stayed in her room reading. During the family visits, everyone was chatting, laughing, and seemingly having a great time, especially her dad. Manuel was so happy to see his family that he could not stop talking very fast in Spanish with his mom and siblings. But since Elizabeth didn't speak good Spanish, she couldn't follow the conversation. Elizabeth could see that her mom wasn't having a good time either, so it was easy for her to hate this visit. From that time on, every time she thought of Mexico... Memories of bad smells, dirty streets, and chickens running around came to her mind. Maria named her Elizabeth because she didn't want a Mexican name for her daughter. In many different ways, 
Maria taught Elizabeth to conceal that she was Mexican and to assimilate. Elizabeth grew up in a stable home. Manuel and Maria had the same jobs until they retired. While neither side of the family had any member who received higher education, Maria had always been very impressed with the lawyers in the firm she worked for, and she told Elizabeth that her biggest dream was for her daughter to become a lawyer. With her mom and dad's hard-working habits, Elizabeth got scholarships and made her parents proud by graduating with a law degree from Arizona State University. And then she met Lorenzo, and her life and family grew. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts for the Katie Suarez Social Justice Podcast, based on the 2019 Best Latino Focus Fiction novel, Irreversible Damage, by J.L. Reese. The series is narrated by actor Mike Gomez. An empowering story of a young woman's fight for justice. Ambassador Julian Nava. Fascinating story. With so many important historical facts interwoven into it, this is an eye-opener. Jerry Velasco, Mayor Pro Tem, City of El Monte.